Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom. When discussing stories, sometimes you have to go back to the basics. In this episode, we'll examine the notion of heroes and villains, their relationships, and how it all fits into Star Wars. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey everyone, I am your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to our episode where we're going to be talking, like Charlotte said in the prologue, kind of going back to basics and talking about what exactly a hero is and what exactly a villain is. So it's going to be an interesting show. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah, me too. And um, I don't want to speak for you, but we got so many awesome comments last week or two weeks ago about um, your episode, basically, Caitlin, <laughs> about uh. art and historic <laughs> preservation. And I just think it was such a cool episode, and I was really glad that we were able to do that. And I just wanted to say thank you kind of on behalf of you, because (laughs) I think it was – we got so many amazing comments and seeing them come through. And I don't know. I feel like – again, I don't want to speak for you, but I definitely am. Like, I feel like (laughs) it was really cool to, like, watch you, like, apply – your passion to this like other huge passion and like combine them together and then see that people actually responded to it. It was great to watch. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And thank all of you. Um, Like Charlotte said, I will now speak for myself, um, but really just echoing what she said. It was, uh, I was actually really nervous about that episode because it is, it is like those things, the way that all those things come together, my studies and, you know, stars, it all makes sense in my head. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm explaining things correctly or if it makes sense or if it's too in-depth and if I'm talking too fast. Um, but seeing everyone's comments that we got in, it really did mean a lot because I was like, oh, people listened to it and they heard some of the things I said that, you know, were about like what I'm studying and what I'm hoping to do like in the real world that are that gets to be like mixed with Star Wars, which is always really fun. So thank you guys so much. And if you ever do want more information on like actual preservation, you can, you know, you know where to find me. But uh, thank you guys. Really, it really did mean a lot. Um, the kind of comments. I was, I was very touched. So thank you. Um, so just like one action item is that as you're, if you're listening to this episode on Saturday when it's released, we will be at Dragon Con and hopefully you're there too. And I'm hoping to get panel audio from our episode nine speculation audio, speculation panel, but I am kind of like, I don't really know how to do that. So we'll see how that goes. (laughs) Yeah, we are. Our panel is on Saturday, correct? Mm -hmm. At seven. And it's a... We're doing a speculation panel all about episode nine with some other people in the Star Wars podcasting world. So we are super excited for that. So if you are at Dragon Con and want to come listen and or say hi, you can find us roaming around, um, maybe by the TARDIS, maybe in the Star Wars room. I don't really know. Um, (laughs) Dragon Con is an experience. So we're really looking forward to it and really looking forward to seeing all of you who are going to be there. 
Yeah. And if you're there, I do have, Caitlin and I both will have stickers and buttons to give out. So if you see us, please say hi. Seriously, we want to meet you. Oh my gosh. You saying that reminded me of last year when we went and we were like, we just want to give out buttons and hugs, buttons and hugs. It's true though. (laughs) It's very true. I'm really hoping we get to meet a lot of people this time because when we went to celebration, the last celebration, the podcast was really new. We weren't super involved. We didn't really get to meet as many people as we wanted to. And the same was kind of true for Dragon Con. So I'm hoping that now, you know, a full year later, um, we'll really get to meet a lot more people that we've become a lot closer to through the podcast and through our online relationships and things like that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you see us, come up and say hi. Tell us your Twitter handle too (laughs) Um, because that'll help a lot. (laughs) True, true. Um, Okay, so the other piece of information that we got recently was that the Disney streaming service now has a name. It's called Disney Play, question mark, and it is coming out in fall 2019. So I'm already counting down until the Clone Wars, <laughs> until I can buy the service. I am like all in for the Disney streaming service. Oh, yeah. Very ready for the Disney streaming service. I'm like so interested to see what they do with – like what are they going to put up there? Are they going to put up like everything from our childhoods? Like are they going to put up the Black Cauldron? Like what's <laughs> going to go up on Disney Play? And like all the Marvel movies? I mean they're putting Black Panther on Netflix in – you know, three weeks or something. Are they going to take all of that off and move it to Disney Play? You know, I'm. I mean, I actually, all we care about is Clone Wars, to be <laughs> honest. But and the live action series, like I'm ready. I can't with the live action series and you. It's just, <laughs> I know it's coming, but <laughs> it's a lifelong passion. It's a lifelong passion. <laughs> if you guys don't know this story, the story is that in middle school, um, before I saw Star Wars with Charlotte, Charlotte and I ate lunch together and. Every day I would tell her about the last episode of Little House on the Prairie or Sailor Moon that I watched. And every day she would regale me with the latest rumor mills about the Star Wars live action show that was coming in 2005. And she has never dropped the gauntlet on the live action show. (laughs) And here we are in 2018. Still waiting. <laughs> the day I see that trailer will be a beautiful day. It will be. I'm going to send you like champagne or something. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Okay. So why don't we jump into our discussion? Yes. So in part one, we're going to be kind of defining the hero and the villain. And in part two, we're going to be talking about the journey and different creators' thoughts. And in part three, we're going to do a deep dive into the characters. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. So welcome to part one. Um, Here, I just kind of wanted to start with a couple of definitions. We have like a bunch of quotes that we wanted to read and just kind of lay it out there about what a, a hero is, what a heroine is, what literature and theologians and scholars say about what a hero, what a villain, what a heroine is. So, um, Caitlin, do you want to start? Yeah, let's start. Um, and of course, the caveat that we put at every single episode. <laughs> no. Someday we're going to be a little bit more like Lacked. sure of ourselves. I yeah. That day is not today. <laughs> um, we should have that as like our outro or something. Like all of the thoughts and opinions are that of the Sky Talkers and no one else. Um, but uh, we are not experts in this subject matter. So just, you know, just our like typical 
warning, caveat. Um, but first, we're going to be talking about Hero and like the hero's journey. And of course, the hero's journey plays a lot into Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a, Th- with a Thousand Faces, which was such a huge inspiration for George Lucas. It's something that has been talked about a million times over by Star Wars fans and George Lucas himself. Um, it's kind of like our I don't know. It's like, oh, you know that Luke Skywalker uh, was really heavily influenced by Joseph Campbell. It's kind of like the most popular fun fact about Star Wars, I feel like. I feel like it was one of the first things I learned about Star Wars. But we figured we would take it back and really look at what Joseph Campbell had to say about these things. And so for the definition of hero from Joseph Campbell is a hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. And then to kind of compare, we have the Webster's Dictionary um, definition, which is a mythological or legendary figure, often of divine descent, endowed with great strength or ability. These definitely like these definitely like parallel each other. They're not the same, but they they merge really well together. These definitions. Yeah, I think the concept of a hero, and I guess this is something that we're going to get into, is kind of complicated. Obviously, it's different for most stories, um, but I think that this is kind of the basis of everything is a hero is someone who, um, I don't know, I feel like it conjures up a lot of images when you read that definition Mm -hmm. um, of like Hercules or someone who just like is entrusted with this, you know, huge task and must carry it out in like a noble and valiant way, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. What I love about the the difference between Joseph Campbell's definition and Webster's dictionary definition is that Joseph's doesn't say that it's mythological or legendary. It's just a hero is someone. It can be anyone. Um, it doesn't have to be a mythological or a legendary figure. Now, these people, these characters often become legendary through their actions. And uh, Webster's dictionary is kind of Kind of, it's like it's like the after the fact. Yeah, definition. yeah, exactly. Thank you. I couldn't think of how to phrase that, but exactly. <laughs> it's like now, Luke, because like now we talk about Luke Skywalker as the, the I was the legend, Luke Skywalker. You know, um, but he wasn't always. Um, he had to start somewhere, and I like how Joseph, Joseph, I like how I'm like Joseph, Joey. <laughs> this is so classic us <laughs> on a first name basis. <laughs> Joe, Joe, and my me. <laughs> Um, I like how he is really kind of putting us at the beginning of the hero's journey in his own definition of hero. It's someone, it's it can be anyone, a name in a crowd, a face in a crowd who goes on to do something extraordinary. It doesn't have to be because they're of design descent or endowed with great strength and ability. That's usually what we see, but part of them being able to utilize that great strength or ability is making noble um, or quote unquote heroic choices. Right. And I think the interesting thing here is that a more modern definition of hero includes heroine. And Mm -hmm. um, this is something that it's funny because we discuss this. I'm I'm pretty new to the concept of a heroine's journey. Um, And I think you are, too, Caitlin, Mm -hmm. that when we had on last year, like in the beginning of the year, this feels so long ago now, we had on my favorite podcast, Scavenger's Horde, on our show to talk about because it was the first time I ever heard about the heroine's journey. Mm-hmm. Since then, I've bought Maureen Murdoch's book, and it is fascinating. And I, I, I really just love this notion that a heroine's journey is different from a hero's journey, mm-hmm. and they're fundamentally different yet somehow similar because women 
experience the world differently than men. And Joseph Campbell had specifically said that, you know, most heroes are men. So it's interesting to me to be able to examine, especially in light of the sequel trilogy where our main character is a female, um, the heroine's journey. So I have a couple of quotes that I kind of wanted to read, and they're quite long, so I hope you bear with us. Um, Okay. So this is Maureen Murdoch, the author of The Heroine's Journey, which has now become a kind of very popular book and theology on looking in and stories in general. Um, here, this is, here, here she is. I knew that the stages of the heroine's journey incorporated aspects of the journey of the hero, but I felt that the focus of female spiritual development was to heal the internal split between women and her feminine nature. I wanted to hear Campbell's views. I was surprised when he responded that women don't need to make the journey. This is a quote from Campbell. In the whole mythological tradition, the woman is there. All she has to do is realize that she is the place that people are trying to get to. When a woman realizes what her wonderful character is, she is not going to get messed up with the notion of being pseudo-male. End quote. This stunned me. I found it deeply unsatisfying. The women I know and work with do not want to be there, the place that people are trying to get to. Um, I think this is worth mentioning just because I think that we talk about as Star Wars fans, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's hero with a thousand faces and everything. But we're in the modern time now where a woman isn't just put off to the side. She's not at the end of one character's journey. She doesn't she, of course, will make a specific life journey in the same way that a quote hero will. And I think it's really important to, you know, recognize that this kind of fault in Joseph Campbell's kind of theology, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. When you were reading that, um, you know, you can almost look at it from a couple points of view. Um, like when when he says that um, the all the woman has to do is realize that she's the place that people are trying to get to. And, you know, on one hand you can say like, oh, that's like what they're – like that's what the hero is aiming for. Like he, that's his happy place, his home with his wife or girlfriend or daughter, whatever it is. But it, it's just kind of assuming that the woman is just there. Yeah. <laughs> um, she, she's just she, kind of she, waiting like, at – Assumes her place. Yeah. It's she's annoying. like waiting at the finish line for the hero. And yeah. um, while it's great that – you know, like the, the 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 myth that I think of when I'm reading this is Odysseus and him trying to get back to his wife, mm-hmm. and she's just like there waiting for him. <laughs> and while it's great that like Odysseus like has this woman that he loves so much that he, that like that's what's like pushing him forward, like that's good motivation. It sucks that like she just has to stay there, <laughs> and and that she is actually there when he gets home. Um, and granted, like she's got she's had some stuff going on too. Like she's you know thinking of getting remarried um she's moving on with her life but of course like that gets derailed when odysseus comes home um but but yeah it's like you the woman has to be doing something like she had like even if she decides to stay to wait for the hero to get there she has to be going through her own process of like okay this is what I feel like this is what I should be doing. It just kind of eliminates all choice in the matter for the woman, whether her choice is to stay or to go. But it's just assuming that she's automatically going to stay. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's it's just a problem. It's just not a modern reflection of how we're telling stories these days. No. And I don't think that it diminishes 
like stories like Odysseus. Like it, it definitely doesn't. It's no, just no, it doesn't. But you're right. It's not necessarily the lens that we can look at, like say the sequel trilogy, and we'll get there yeah. um, through at this point. I think that we can with say like Luke Skywalker because his story continues past the like the original Campbellian um, arc of a mm-hmm. hero. But I think that. It's it's just if you're examining a character like Rey, it's it just doesn't really fit. Yeah. Well, that's the great thing too about Star Wars is that it is always like building and layering upon both the like context that it's being created in in the real world and then also in its own mythology and also in all of these like mythologies like Campbell and, you know, ancient Greek and Roman mythology, like these stories that have been told for millennia at this point. You know, you started off with this like classic you know, hero's journey with the original trilogy and, you know, Luke Skywalker, the boy from nowhere who became a somebody with a capital S. And that's, you know, it's it's very neat and tidy, you know, but then you, you add this layer onto it that like, oh, that's his father. But not only is Vader his father, but we're going to give you that whole backstory and get very in-depth into the layers that went into that. And, you know, that was in the 2000s. So that kind of made sense for that period. And now we're shifting even further ahead into you know, 2018, 2015, and now we're finally getting to see it from a woman's perspective, um, mostly from a woman's perspective because, of course, Ray is written by men by and large. Um, so that's kind of complicated too. But she's at the center of the story, which is brand new and um, like a, a change of pace, and it just adds on to these layers of what Star Wars is. Exactly. Exactly. I think that it's while it is it presents its own sense of problems that Ray is written by men mm-hmm. like everywhere. I think that it doesn't diminish the fact that she is going through a heroine's journey. Exactly. And one of the quotes you have in here just like lays it out so beautifully. <laughs> do you want to read it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I love this quote. Um, okay, so this is also from Maureen Murdoch, and she writes. Today's heroine must utilize the sword of discernment to cut away the ego bonds that hold her to the past and to find out what serves her soul's purpose. She must release resentment toward the mother, put aside blame and idolization of the father, and find the courage to face her own darkness. Her shadow is hers to name and embrace. Woman illumines these dark, shadowy spaces within her through the practice of meditation, art, poetry, play, ritual, relationship, and digging in the earth. The word heroine has many meanings, and the woman who has borne the title has worn many guises. She's been a damsel in distress, waiting for rescue from the knight in shining armor, a Valkyrie riding on air, leading her troops into battle, an artist alone painting bones in the desert, a tiny nun healing the wounds of the poor in Calcutta, and a supermom juggling briefcase and baby formula. She has changed the face of woman with each passing generation. The task of today's heroine is to mine the silver and gold within herself. I love this quote so much. It's like, hey, did you watch The Last Jedi? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love that it's a personal journey. Yeah, I think that for me is the biggest difference between a hero's journey and a heroine's journey is that, I mean, I think that a hero's journey is a personal journey to an extent, but it always has the end goal of like maybe saving the world, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that that's part of the heroine's journey in a way, but it's not necessarily the goal of it. It's it is this personal understanding of oneself to like, I don't know. I just love it. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like, let's break this down though. I mean, this first, this first, the first part of this quote is what happens in The Last Jedi. And mm-hmm. it's so much a personal journey, like exactly what you were saying. Like Ray f- 
you know, Ray's like, quote unquote, there for the resistance, but she's really there for herself. She has this power inside her that's awakened and she doesn't know what to do with it. Like, that's really why she's seeking out Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, the resistance. And it's, it's literally within her. It's understanding that power that's in herself. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, let, let's see. The hero must utilize the sword, the heroine must utilize the sword of discernment. Well, that sounds a lot like what happens at the end of The Last Jedi. Uh-huh. Um, and also throughout her time with Luke too, when she realizes that like Luke is not who she thought he was and it's time for her to go and make her own choices. And in that, you know, it, ha- it happens to be a mistake for her, not mistake, but naive in her thinking of what would happen when she went to the supremacy. But she used her own discernment to know that staying with Luke definitely wasn't the right choice in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and staying with Kylo at the end also wasn't the right choice. Um, cut away the ego bonds that hold her to her past find out her soul's purpose that's like the whole point of the last Jedi. <laughs> literally the entire point release resentment toward the mother put aside blame and idolization of the father i mean i mean it's kind of it's it's funny because maureen murdoch's whole thing like the mother and the father aren't necessarily literal at all in in the cycle of a heroine's journey but it's funny when you strip it down to this because it kind of is literal in ray's story it's so literal. <laughs> it's so, you, you what it what does kylo say to her about the father he's like you think they're the father you think he's the father you never, father had. You never had looking for him first in han now in skywalker like <laughs> put aside the idolization and 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 put aside the resentment and blame which is exactly what she's what she really feels towards her parents but has kept locked away um she's letting the past die oh man <laughs> oh, God. oh god okay and then this is great and find the courage to face her own darkness her shadow is hers to name and embrace the, i mean she literally dives into her own dark space i know <laughs> And, and the, the realization that that's not necessarily bad either mm-hmm. in that, that understanding that part of yourself, um, whether it's this mirror image that she sees in Kylo or um, this like intensity that she feels within herself is key to understanding Rey and understanding her journey as a whole as a character. Like preach. It's not a bad thing for her. <laughs> and it says her shadow is hers to name and embrace. That's that's like that's the whole point, you know, mm-hmm. is that we all have darkness and light within us. Ray is, you know, she's a literal ray of light, but she hardcore taps into that aggression and literally falls into the dark side cave with no hesitation. Kylo Ren is a person defined by darkness, but he is always being pulled to the light within him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's balance, guys. It's balance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with the talk of Kylo Ren, let's move on to talking about villains. Yes. Okay, so the Webster's Dictionary, sticking with the Webster's Dictionary, (laughs) the Webster's Dictionary defines a villain as a character in a story or a play who opposes the hero, a deliberate scoundrel or criminal. And the Random House Abridged Dictionary defines a villain as a cruelly malicious person who is involved in or devoted to wickedness or crime, a scoundrel, or a a character in the play novel or, or the like who constitutes an important evil agency in the plot. This sounds like so um, surface level yes. definition, just like twirling mustache kind of villain. It sounds like Hux. I was so glad that you said mustache twirling because I was <laughs> going to say that too. But I think that there's no doubt in my mind that Kylo is part of this. 
Oh, yeah, um, definitely. He opposes the hero. He is cruelly malicious in a lot of ways and um, very wicked. It's it, it's all there. Mm-hmm. But the thing about villains, and I, I did some research and kind of co- came up with, like, not very accurate sources, I suppose, but the villain's journey we talk about the heroine's journey, we talk about the hero's journey. Like, what's the villain's journey? Is it just, is it anything? Is it the opposite of the hero's journey? I'm inclined to think that, yes, it is. But at the same time, I feel like these this definition doesn't account for complicated villains. Exactly. These definitions are assuming, th- these definitions remind me of like a Scooby-Doo villain. Yes. Like if they get, if the hero gets captured, they, you know, reveal their plan to them in this very long drawn out monologue. And then at the end they're vanquished by the hero and they get to say, you know, I would have gotten away for it too if it weren't for you meddling kids. Um, they would have been able to do all that. <laughs> but it, it, <laughs> it really doesn't take into account, you know, someone like Kylo who is, very different. I mean, there are other types of heroes and antiheroes, which we'll talk about. Um, but these kind of, like I said, surface level definitions, they're really um, like it's it's Hux, you know, a cruelly malicious person who is involved in or devoted to wickedness, who constitutes an important evil agency in the plot, who speaks it's, for the first order in Star Wars. <laughs> it's not just Hux. It's Snoke as well, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Which is- the, the biggest bad. I know that you're thinking in terms of episode nine and like what happens next, but it it really is okay. So Snoke is necessary is a character in the story who opposes the hero, and I, I don't know. I can't think. I I think about Kylo Ren when I think about a villain, of course, but I do also think about Snoke. I feel like there's no one more malicious and wicked in the Last Jedi in the force awakens than snoke who is controlling everything what's weird is when i read that quote of um devoted to wickedness i don't really think of kylo as devoted to wickedness i see him as devoted to snoke which i who is a wicked person so i guess i guess he is in a way but and we've talked about this before like i don't think of kylo as someone who is devoted to the first order um, he never like has the first order's interests in mind, really. That's never his priority in his actions. Um, he is devoted to Snoke, certainly, and really wants to prove himself to Snoke, who and Snoke certainly is devoted to wickedness. I don't know. It's a weird loop. Um <laughs> <laughs> I I just think that this definition of a villain is kind of thin. It it gets the job done, but it kind of proves to me that I don't I mean I don't really know what it proves to me I feel like it 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 just doesn't account for again like I said the hero's journey doesn't necessarily account for the sequel trilogy as a whole I feel like it's not necessarily a modern definition of a villain and like of the villain's trajectory and especially in terms of Star Wars I feel like it is just a little more complicated than that yeah, just and, a <laughs> yeah. I just kind of want to go back because um, we'll 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 get dive into this a little deeper in the next coming sections. But I and it's funny. I just want to say as an aside, it's funny that we keep going back to Kylo Ren. Obviously, we love Kylo. We love to talk about Kylo. But you could, the same could be said about Vader and the Emperor. And it's it's just funny when you put things into those into that perspective of archetypes in heroes and heroines and villains and like super villains um, and how 
essentially the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy have these clear um, heroes and villains, but it gets a little bit more complicated in the prequels. And I want to get into that in a little bit. Um, But I do, before we move on, I want to mention the different types of heroes, because I think that in today's world, we've seen, in today, I mean, like in the past, like a thousand years, um, we've, we've seen people. In today's world, dating from uh, Cleopatra to now. <laughs> we've defined the hero a little differently than in the past. And just some examples of that in this like kind of subcategory of heroes are, is the Byronic hero, who is generally categorized as, quote, a man proud, moody, cynical, with defiance on his brow and misery in his heart, a scorner of his kind, implacable in revenge, yet capable of deep and strong affection. Uh, I love that Byronic hero. (laughs) I know. You know, like, whose heart doesn't swoon for Byronic hero? I know. Like, he lay it all out there. You know, um, it just, man, it's a good one. There's also the anti-hero or heroine is a protagonist in a story who lacks the conventional heroic qualities and attributes such as idealism, courage, and morality. So interesting. I feel like we find that a lot more these days and um, in stories. I think that Mm -hmm. that just kind of comes with this like general wanting to kind of go against the norm. (laughs) Um, So then we also have the Germanic hero, which is a Germanic hero is the protagonist of certain works of early medieval literature, mostly in the Germanic languages. This hero is always a warrior concerned with both his reputation and fame and with the political in with his political responsibilities. I mean, honestly, these are it's like Kylo Ren is represented in all of these. It's interesting, right? I think that's why he's such a great character. But for me, Germanic hero, I kind of think of Poe a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. someone who's really concerned with, and like he 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 likes the appearance of a warrior. He loves being a pilot, um, and like being the best. And um, he was so concerned about being, you know, becoming the next Admiral Haldo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you're right in that Kylo can kind of fall into all of these. Yeah, I think it will be interesting. I like that you brought up Poe for the Germanic hero. I think it will be interesting once Resistance comes out, really seeing those kind of bits and pieces of his character more so. You know, like he um, – even in the trailer when he's talking to um, – Kazuto. Kazuto, thank you. Um, does he go by Kaz? Yeah. I like Kazuto better. <laughs> Honestly, when when I think when they call him Kaz, I think of the Kaz sense, and then when they call him Kazuto, I think of Kudzu. I don't, I don't know why. That's just my brain. Um, <laughs> but um, in the trailer, when they're walking and like someone falls off the ledge, and Kaz is like, "What was that?" and Poe's just like, "Don't worry about it. Keep walking." And it's like, <laughs> you know, like. I'm too cool for school. Like you can picture him just like sliding on his Ray-Bans as he says that and like walking away. (laughs) Um, I think that in some ways Anakin Skywalker was even a Germanic hero at some point. Yeah, especially Um, during the Clone Wars era. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think in a lot of ways he's also the anti-hero. He's definitely not necessarily a Byronic hero to me. I think that he can fall like tick some of those boxes, but not necessarily all of them. Um, Yeah. Maybe more so in Revenge of the Sith, but during his descent to the dark side but i 
I don't know. I think that Kylo is honestly the ultimate Byronic hero and like the most Byronic hero that we've ever seen in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. What I think is funny about the Germanic hero and Anakin says the hero is a warrior and always concerned with his political responsibilities, which is just Padme. <laughs> it's so true. Political responsibilities. <laughs> but then she lets her guard down and she's not necessarily a Germanic hero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that like it's just a euphemism. Yes, <laughs> his political responsibilities is just finding time to. Oh my god, sneak I just up to that. Padme's apartment. <laughs> All right, well, that's the last time I make a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> but no, you're right. Byronic hero really is the best definition. Like it's just it's so like angsty. You know, so which angsty. is just what Kylo <laughs> is, you know, a man proud, moody, cynical, with defiance on his brow. Like, this is the best definition I've ever heard. Misery in his heart. <laughs> it's a quote, and I grabbed the quote, and I forgot to get the source, but it's a great quote. It's a great quote. <laughs> and I, and when it, misery in his heart makes me think of that part in the Last Jedi novelization when, um, what is it? It's when it's in the second Force Bond scene, I think, when they're out by the Falcon and um, Ray says, you're a monster. And Kylo says, yes, I am. And it writes that like Ray only um, felt misery in his heart. Like it was something like that. Like he looked miserable or something. Just wow, wallowing in his misery. While wallowing in it. his misery and yeah. <laughs> capable of deep and strong affection. Yeah. I Rey, think that I want you to join uh, me. <laughs> I love it. I, I love it a lot. <laughs> okay. So what do you think that Joseph Campbell would think of these like smaller versions of heroes? I mean, I think he would probably say that like, yeah, they're there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that often they would follow like his Campbellian like graph of, you know, call to action and like ascent into hero and yeah, everything they- like that. Yeah, there are just like caveats for each of them. Um, right. And caveats as well for if they're the main character or not. Mm-hmm. For sure. So do these definitions kind of account for the morally gray? Yeah. I mean, I think these these smaller ones do. I mean, like we said earlier, the earlier definitions of villain are just like very straightforward and mustache twirling villain. You know, like there's nothing – um, there's nothing about deep and strong affection in Hux's character. Uh, right. And there's nothing about idealism, courage, or morality in uh, Snoke's character, you know? <laughs> there's none of that. <laughs> um, but for our other characters, like Anakin and Kylo are really the best examples. You do have shades of that, and they have their own shades of light and dark within them. I totally agree. Okay, so should we head on over to part two? Yeah, let's just pop into the next room for part two. All right, welcome to part two where we're going to be talking about the journey and uh, different creators' thoughts. And, of course, we needed to start first with George Lucas himself. Um, And as we mentioned at the top of the show, George Lucas has said multiple occasions that Joseph Campbell was a huge influence for him. And they actually met at the end of Joseph Campbell's life. And apparently Joseph had just, like, kind of heard of Star Wars in passing. (laughs) He was like, oh, Star (laughs) – right, Star Wars. I think I've heard of that. And George is like, do you want to come over to my house and watch it? I, I love this story so much. And, jo- and, and Joe, Joey was like, all right. 
and 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 George Lucas is like, okay, so like, do you want to do it on like one a day or all three at once? Like, what are you thinking? Like, and this is the only the original trilogy was out. This is like 1985 that this happened. And Joseph was like, no, I want to watch them all at once. And so, by God, Joseph Campbell and George Lucas had a Star Wars marathon. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing. They like breaked for like dinner and snacks. <laughs> So I just want to read this quote about George and his relationship with Joseph Campbell. In the three decades since I discovered the hero with a thousand faces, it has continued to fascinate and inspire me. Joseph Campbell peers through centuries and shows us that we are all connected by a basic need to hear stories and understand ourselves. As a book, it is a wonderful read. As an illumination to the human condition, it is a revelation. I really like this quote because I think it goes back. It kind of reminds me of our By George series and how, um, like, in a way, it's like George is taking, distilling a hero's journey down to its basic elements um, so that he can then focus on these other areas that he can really innovate and design, you know, things like sound and special effects and composing the score with John Williams. But you're able to, like, really elevate all of those elements because you have these really not simple, but recognizable elements in um, the hero's journey with Luke that, like he said, have been told from millennia and illuminate all the human condition. It's because there's stories that we've been told just through nursery rhymes and mythology and bedtime stories throughout our whole lives as mankind. I totally agree. I think it reminds me of how interested George was in anthropology and like mm-hmm. history. And I just think when he said that, I think about his entire life that he had devoted to like learning all these different stories and um, how when reading The Hero with a Thousand Faces must have been so wonderful for him. And I am very thankful for him reading that because we now have these amazing stories like Star Wars. What's funny is it's kind of like we all know that George Lucas hates the writing process and it's like he read A Thousand Faces and was like, oh, a draft. And just <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny and you know that he probably like wrote out each of the steps and then was like, all right, Luke's going here, then here, then here. <laughs> That's not to uh, make fun of George. Maybe a little, but uh, it's just it's all in jest and in love. We love it's George all in jest and in love, and we all know that George Lucas hated hates writing. You know, yeah. So I think he would have <laughs> clearly. He really latched on to something that was like, "Here's how a story works. Here's what's worked for two thousand years without fail." I think it's great, and I think that we can both acknowledge how wonderful the hero's journey is and also acknowledge its faults, especially, like I mentioned, in modern times. Mm-hmm. But it did allow for a really satisfying arc throughout the original trilogy of Luke Skywalker. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like Luke, I mean, you guys know Luke Skywalker is my main squeeze. and <laughs> <laughs> Is he really your main squeeze at this point? I don't know. Your main squeeze? <laughs> oh god i mean i think luke's character arc is the best um most well-defined and played out at this juncture in star wars um comparable only to ahsoka really in my mind and that's because ahsoka had you know 
five more hours worth of screen time than Luke ever has. Um, and I, but, and I think that Ray and Kylo will, their journeys and character arcs and hero and heroine and anti-hero and Byronic hero arcs will, you know. <laughs> okay, listen all. <laughs> I love Luke a lot. I love his character arc. I love how um, paint by the numbers it can be. And I think that there's a reason for that and a time and a place for that. But I'm glad that Ray and Kylo and specifically Ray are doing something different. And we're getting to see the heroine's journey in this um, galaxy. Me too. Okay, so we were talking a lot about the original trilogy, especially in regards to the hero's journey. And I feel like that is really just because that was like the original trilogy is like the most basic example of a modern hero's journey. And I think that when George set out to make the prequels, you know, the kind of idea of what the original trilogy was and what it represented kind of shifted a little bit. And because he started focusing on characters like Anakin. And I have this quote here from this like literally amazing, and I'm like getting really excited to talk about it, Mm -hmm. literally amazing Rolling Stone article that even is such a good read today. And we're going to quote a lot from it, so get ready. But I think this is maybe the most famous quote from it. And I think that it is really interesting in regards to when we talk about villains. Um, And I guess, you know, 10 minutes ago, we were talking about how that definition of villain is really one-sided. It is really not one-sided, but like weak. And I think George was able to elevate the idea of a villain a little bit to being more of a sad definition. You don't want to be a villain because it's it's misery. It's not power. It's not to go against the hero. It is an unfortunate circumstance and definitely what you should not choose to be in your story. And um, so here's the quote. I like the idea that the person you thought was the villain is actually the victim. And the story is really about the villain trying to regain his humanity. Oh, boy, this quote is so good. I'm sorry. Are we talking about Anakin or Kylo? I just, I was confused. Where, oh, what, we're talking about both. We we're talking about both. Okay. Because, you know, Star Wars is poetry and it's just how it works. Rhyming. And I, I just really love this because... I think that it's honestly the reason why I really respond to the prequel trilogy is because I really like the idea of expanding upon why Anakin fell to the dark side. And it's not just like the prequel mindset of like what happened before. I mean, it is that, but it's also, you know, getting into this like soap opera of a family and like figuring out what what their problems were and kind of understanding that our heroes and villains aren't just black and white. And mm-hmm. there was a reason behind certain actions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was like as soon as you found out that Vader was Luke's father, it was like, how? How? How can yes. someone who is um, literally the definition of darkness, dark father, be Luke's light, which literally means – can be Luke's father, which literally means light. And the thing is, it's like he is not the definition of darkness. He wasn't always the definition of darkness. Um, he didn't start out this way and somehow wind up with a child. Like he was in love. He fell in love. He did good things. He had a best friend. He had an apprentice that he cared for immensely. And he fell into the manipulations of his heart, of his, the politics of the time, of his mentor, of his own choices. And he became Darth Vader. Yep. Sad. So another quote from this amazing article. I'm just going to say amazing article every time because it just is really good article. And I'll put it in the show notes. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) 
You'll we're basically reading the whole thing for you, but she'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> I just think it's so great. I it just really, really like these. Okay, so this article I should say was taken in 2005, right after George had finished Revenge of the Sith, and he mm-hmm. was very open about his process and how excited he was to make Revenge of the Sith and finish it and tell this complete story. Yeah, and I love interviews at this time period of George because he's so proud of what he created, and he it really is the attitude is like. I don't care what people think. I'm just so happy I made it. And this is why, this is what you should glean from these. And I don't care if you don't, but this is what you should. (laughs) And I I really, I do. I love these articles like this, you know? Oh, yeah, they're great. Um, So here's another quote. I had to make Darth Vader scary without the audience ever seeing his face. Basically, it's just a black mask. I said, how do I make that evil and scary? I mean, he's a big... He's he's big and black, and he's got a, a cape and a samurai helmet, but that doesn't necessarily make people afraid of him. His character's got to go beyond that. That's how we get this impersonal way of dealing with things. He's done a lot of horrible things in his life and he isn't that he isn't particularly proud of. Ultimately, he's just a pathetic guy who's had a very sad life. The first film, people didn't even know whether or not there was a person in there. They thought there was a person in there, but they thought it was a monster of or some kind of robot. In the second film, it's revealed that he's a human being. In the third film, you find out that, yes, he's the father of a regular person like the rest of us. He's just got a bit of a complexion problem. I'm sorry. Are we talking about Kylo or Anakin? (laughs) Well, I think that this is a little – I I agree with you with that. But I do think that there's there's, there's a little bit of a difference here in that um, the idea of George – in the prequels was like getting behind that mask and in the sequel trilogy it's like that mask was removed three-fourths of the way through the force awakens and completely destroyed in the last jedi Mm -hmm. and you don't need to get behind that mask anymore because you understand this like painful guy right in in the original trilogy you kind of understand that like the mask is you know his life support it like becomes sad it becomes an image of like the only thing he has you know yeah exactly and it's like this comparison again to like um to saw Guerrero mm-hmm. and rogue one i love the comparison between their two suits and their breathing apparatuses and and yeah i'm kind of making light of the fact that like kylo and anakin are very similar in their arcs and you're right that this is very much more geared towards vader because they had these three films where really George is kind of banking on you trusting Luke to trust that there's something redeemable in Vader because we haven't gone behind the mask. It's not until the very last chapter, the very last part of the very last chapter that you finally take the mask off and you're like, what? Like that's who's behind there? What? It's surprising. Um, it's like it's, the biggest surprise. I, I would yeah. wager that it's more of a surprise than the I am your father thing because it is yeah. – it's like, wait, what? That's the end of the entire Star Wars saga as we know it at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And that's what we were leading to, this like unveiling that this guy is just a guy underneath who has had this really sad life. I remember that was actually – I'm glad you said that because that was actually really shocking for me the first time I saw Star Wars because I knew that Vader was Luke's father. I didn't know what he looked like though. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had seen the pre, obviously I watched it one through six, but, and so I, I knew Hayden Christensen and then I had no idea about Sebastian, <laughs> none. And so when you take it off, I'm like, what the, what? like, wow, it's just like, it's like a sucker punch. And I think that reveal in particular is super meaningful when you watch it in chronological order. Cause you're like, 
that guy from Revenge of the Sith with the lightly feathered hair, like he became that. <laughs> um, and it's it's crazy because you really are like, wow, he's 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 been robbed of so much um, of his life. By his own volition, of exactly course. by his own volition. Um, but it's tragic. It's tragic because there were a lot of other things going on too. Um, mm-hmm. If the if the environment had been different, he would have made different choices. Um, but it wasn't because that's the whole like that's the whole point of the prequels. It's he's set up to fall. Mm-hmm. Man, Star Wars is tragedy. Scratch it Star off Wars on your is- sky talkers bingo. <laughs> Um, I have this other quote that kind of is uh, relevant to our discussion about villains. Oh, can I say one more thing about the last quote? Of course. I will say, even though it is very much geared towards Vader, this last piece where it says, in the first film, they thought he was a monster, the second film, human being, and third film, you get that, yes, he's a father and a regular person. I think this is also going to be setting us (laughs) up for Kylo Ren. The first film, I mean, there was a cut line, the original cut line where Ray says, you're a monster to him when they're fighting in the forest. The third film, we find out that he's a human. That's or the second film, that's what the Last Jedi was was about humanizing him. And then in the third film, I think we're not that he's a father. I don't know, maybe at the end. Um, yes. <laughs> you're getting there. You went there. Oh. <laughs> it's my second euphemism. I'm gonna stop. Um, but in the third film, you know, he's a person like the rest of us. I think is not that simplified for Kylo, of course, because he did. He's a different kind of character, but. We're going to get back to, you know, will the real Ben Solo please stand up? So we're going to get that. Agreed. God, I don't I know think what's that... wrong with me this episode. I'm so sorry. I'm just like saying all <laughs> kinds of weird things. We all have our days. It's fine. It's great. Okay. <laughs> um, here's a quote from George. People like villains because they're powerful and they don't worry about the rules. And as you go through puberty – you have to break off your social bondage and become your own person. So when you have a film aimed aimed at adolescence, the movie is there to say, well, all, that's all well and good, but this is what happens to you when you do that. This is, what, this is why you're compassionate, and this is why you join together as a group to help each other. These are the same basic stories that have always been told. I love this quote. I think it is kind of the embodiment of everything that Star Wars has set out to be without us even knowing it. Mm-hmm. I think that this obviously comes from the prequel mindset that George is coming out of when he said this. Yes. But I I do think it is extremely powerful to question all of our characters in Star Wars and try to kind of understand that they're not necessarily like the good guy and the bad guy. I think that those are fair assumptions, but it is all about choices. And we've said this before, and, and this is like the number one thing that people talk about. This is nothing new. Um, but Star Wars is really all about choices and making the right choices. It really is. And it's about learning these lessons too. Like that was the whole point of mythology was to um, have these, you know, crazy powerful gods like the Olympic gods and using their follies and character flaws to teach you about what you're supposed to do in your everyday life. And Star Wars is just another iteration of that. For sure. Okay, anything you want to add to this section before we move on to Ryan Johnson? No, I want to move on to Ryan. He's my fave. Okay, cool. Oh, I was just going to say, we have this really great quote from Ryan on Luke Skywalker. So that's why I wanted to read it, because it's Ryan Johnson on Luke Skywalker, which is always fun. (laughs) But the... 
you know, Luke's journey in the original trilogy is so kind of paint by the numbers with the hero with the hero's journey. But then we see the next piece of that journey after, you know, the quote unquote happily ever after. And that's what's really exciting about Star Wars and having a filmmaker like Ryan who um, I don't know, like really pays attention um, to like what Star Wars is and film and films that influence him and George Lucas and Star Wars and also like what mythology and these kinds of classic stories have taught us through the ages about what happens after, happily ever after. Um, and so this quote from Ryan on Luke Skywalker says, if you look at any classic hero's myth that is actually worth its salt – At the beginning of the hero's journey, like with King Arthur, he pulls the sword from the stone and he's ascendant. He has setbacks, but he unites all the kingdoms. But then if you keep reading, when it deals with the hero's life as they get into middle age and beyond, it always starts to get into darker places. And there's a reason for that. It's because myths are not made to sell action figures. Myths are made to reflect the most difficult transitions we go through in life. And I love, 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 love this quote because of that word. And it's also what George kind of um, refers to in the last quote we read about transitions in life. And both JJ and Ryan have talked excessively about the transition from adolescence into adulthood in regards to Finn, Poe, Ray, and Kylo. Um, but I love that Ryan takes time to talk about the transition from um, like adulthood into middle agehood and um, <laughs> like elderliness and how that's a really hard thing to go through. Right. And I think that we see that even not with just not with just Luke but also Leia mm-hmm. and how that part of your life like it just it gets hard it's not all jolly and good after the credits roll in return of the jedi and i i so respect that choice that Ryan did and made because it doesn't i i you know i listened to a podcast today that was like talking about how Luke and his, Ryan Johnson in general with Luke was completely subverting everything that came before. And I, I, you hear that word a lot with like subversion. Ryan was like, The Last Jedi is kind of like the middle finger of like the hero's journey. I just don't think that's that. It's just like Luke isn't there to make the same hero's journey as he did before. He already completed that. It's a n- whole new transition, right? And we here we have Ray, who's also going through her heroine's journey, and we have all these characters around them who are learning their own lessons and growing as characters as well. It's not necessarily like, like I said, like the middle finger to the stories of the past, but instead, it is what happens after the happily ever after. Mm-hmm. And I, I so. I so respect that decision that Ryan made to kind of show Luke as this complicated hero because that we deserve that. We deserve to see Luke as someone more than just who he was as as an adolescent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, it's not a, it's not a subversion. It's just a continuation. And, um, I mean, I think that The Last Jedi subverts our expectations in a lot of different ways, but I don't think that Luke is it. Um, Not only because they kind of lay out in The Force Awakens that he's disappeared, um, and so that kind of lends itself to, okay, why? Like, Luke is in hiding for some kind of reason um, to be doing something. But I think that, you know, it kind of goes back to, like, it's the continuation of their story, and so our heroes have – now they, you know, they 
reached the end of their hero's journey and now they're getting married, they're having their own kids and now their kids are making mistakes. And so their mistakes are impacting our original heroes and like how are they dealing with that and responding to that. And I think that's exactly what we see in Star Wars um, is now that, you know, particularly like Kylo is going through his own mistakes and his own, you know, Byronic hero or villain journey and it's having an impact on Luke and Leia and Han um, because they're still around to be a part of the story, which is really special. Totally. It actually makes me – what you just said reminds me of a quote that we actually didn't read from the Rolling Stone article with George, but I think it's worth reading because it kind of all ties everything together. He says, in real Greek tragedies, the kids are usually the problem. They're the ones that are killing the parents, but this is more uplifting. It's up to one generation to fix the sins of the last generation. And like you said, I think that we are pretty unique in seeing the last generation represented in Star Wars in the sequel trilogy. Um, and it's just going about how our main characters now are dealing with that. And we are really lucky to see this like window into Luke Skywalker's life and his thoughts and his burdens and everything that he's dealt with in the past. Mm-hmm. What I think is really special too about the character of Luke is that, you know, they talk a lot about him being the legend Luke Skywalker. And what I love about his story is that he ends on being the legend, but us as the audience, we actually get to see the reality of who he is mm-hmm. um, and that he's he is just a man. And even though like those kids at the end of The Last Jedi, they have this legendary hero to look up to, um, we know that you know, that that legendary status has cost him and that he's not perfect, but that he, just like he did so many years before and time and time again throughout his life, um, both in the original trilogy and, you know, choices that we haven't made yet, Luke made good choices um, and he tried to do the right thing in his life, um, even if it wasn't always perfect and even if in the instances where he didn't make the right choice. But in the end, you know, he – he left on a good note, and that's not really the best way to say it, but um, he found his he found his peace and purpose again. Right, and he went back to – I mean, he saved his sister. He saved everyone um, by that one sacrifice, and I think it is – of course, Luke's arc is worthy, and it's not necessarily subversion for the sake of subversion. It is – proof that the hero story can continue past that original Campbellian arc. Well, yeah. And and Luke, I mean, Luke was there. I mean, I always think that Luke is there first and foremost to talk to Kylo and and Leia. And that's kind of his driving force in that moment. Um, And the resistance is just like an added bonus, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a really great added bonus, but an added bonus nonetheless. I mean, that's what he tells Leia. Like, I came to confront him, but I can't save him. And I love, too, that it's like – like I said before, like we get to see what the descendants of Luke and Leia and Han, how they're impacting their hero's journey. But then we also get them to impact our new main character's journey, Um, even though they're now kind of not periphery characters, but they're not the main characters anymore. It's not their journey. Even though they're going through things, they're not the ones we're focusing on in this period of time anymore. But they still have a role to play. Totally. You summed it up. <laughs> did I? I? I've been all over the place this episode, so I hope I did. You got it. Okay, so <laughs> I couldn't really find anything about JJ acknowledging 
you know, the quote unquote heroine's journey. And I'm kind of disappointed in that. And I, I want to see him acknowledge it at some point. And maybe he will once it's all done. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that would like give it away too much. But I couldn't really find anything about that. Um, but you do get a lot of JJ understanding that he his place in understanding Kylo Ren as a villain is, I don't know, in in the commentary of The Force Awakens, there's a lot that's revealed. And I don't have the commentary because I don't have a 3D television and I didn't buy that 3D release and it's only included on that, I believe. Forever bitter. I'm I'm so bitter about it, but I do know that there's some beautiful quotes there when the Kylo and Rey scenes are playing about how, you know, Kylo has been you know, ripped from his family. And I, I don't know. I don't have the quotes right in front of me, right, Caitlin? But I'm on the right track. Something yeah, about it's... like when he takes off his helmet, he's revealed as the prince. I mean, I feel like JJ... it just c- complicates our villains way more. I think JJ's like all in on the complicated villain. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. JJ really leans into more this like fairy tale element of Star Wars and The Force Awakens. And he talks about it a lot with like um with kylo in particular like you said about him being ripped away from his family at a very young age and there was like this this figure watching their boy you know when he's talking about han and leia um and it's it's quite dastardly the way he talks about it and and he talks about it in a very sympathetic way towards kylo you know like he was he was ripped from his family they were snoke was watching their child um and it you know it, it broke the family um, which I think is interesting how he's still kind of referring to them as this family unit, um, even though they've been desperate parts for longer than they've been together, um, which is very sad. <laughs> um, and and then, yeah, he when uh, he's revealed to – when he takes off his mask for Ray the first time, which actually he was – Something I, I read this article that was like 50 things we learned from the Force Awakens commentary. Not that I'll ever get to watch it because I also don't have a 3D TV. Um, but it talked about how the first time Kylo was actually supposed to take off his mask when he was talking to Vader's helmet. And that was the first time we were actually supposed to see him. But they cut that scene and decided to have it when he's with Ray. And I think that that's such an interesting and important choice, um, especially because what Right, uh, JJ says in that moment, like you said, Charlotte, is that he's, um, she calls him a creature in a mask, and JJ says, but he's revealed to be a prince. <laughs> you're like, all right. <laughs> so subtle. <laughs> so, so subtle. And then there's, he's talking about the, like when they're on Tokadana, and then also when they're on Starkiller Base and fighting in the, you know, this very, like almost like romantic fairy tale. Um, like snowy forest, you know, and he talks about how, you know, it, it is a fairy tale and you have this prince and, you know, there's a castle and a princess and there are all these like elements and he's ascribing things like Starkiller Base or Maz's castle and, and Ray and Kylo into these roles, which I think is really interesting and I'm so intrigued for episode nine. <laughs> I think a lot of what you covered falls into like the genre of Star Wars and like what is it? I did want to do an episode in the future about the genre of Star Wars. It's like all over the place, but I think (laughs) that, and I think that's obviously by design. I think that in a way though, I think Star Wars definitely falls more into fairy tale, especially with The Force Awakens um, with like the Cinderella type character, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it is explicitly fairy tale, especially with the settings like you mentioned. 
Yeah, that was a big part of, if I remember from the article, not the commentary, again, didn't get to buy it. <laughs> so bitter. No, it's just not fair, okay? <laughs> I shouldn't have to buy four copies of The Force Awakens just to see all the behind-the-scenes bonus content. That's just mean. Fully agree. <sighs> okay. Um, but, like, fairy tales are archetypes. And so it's, I like that JJ kind of recognizes and ascribes these different archetypes to the characters that he created, even though they are much more complicated than that. Like, obviously, Kylo is not um, – I guess Kylo is more of a prince than Rey is a princess because he does come from this, like, quote-unquote – I mean, not quote-unquote, Leia is royal, royal. from this royal <laughs> lineage. Um, and But Rey is not really a princess. Um, mm-hmm. But she's kind of – like, the way they – like if you put them in an actual fairy tale setting, then you could very much have this Cinderella story, you know, without all of the laser swords and and that kind of nonsense. <laughs> right. Um, I think that there's was there was a quote that kind of was like insane before the Last Jedi of, and I think it was a misquote, but it's it was funny. The Adam Driver one. The Adam Driver quote where he referred to Rey as a princess. Yeah. It was it was really confusing. I remember, that was a confusing time for the fandom. Oh but yeah, it was really funny looking back upon that. I think that if if anything, I wonder what kind of conversations he's had with JJ in terms of like this role of like prince princess and like whatever. I think that it's a really really interesting thing to think about as we consider Kylo Ren the villain. And all of that, all of what that means in the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. And even like going back to mythology, if I'm thinking, I'm going to get this wrong, um, that's that myth where the god um, marries a mortal and like brings her up, but he can, she can never see him in the daylight. It's like, is it Cupid and Psyche? Yep, it's Cupid and Psyche. It's Cupid and Psyche, yeah. But she, like, turns on the light because she thinks he's a monster. But really, he's, like, this handsome god, immortal god. Mm-hmm. Um, she loses him after that. But, you know, the point is, like, she she thought he was one thing when he really he was something completely different. Cupid and Psyche is one of those myths that I think is pretty apt in looking at the Rey and Kylo Ren relationship and even – you know, then you get into like Hades and Persephone, which is like my new obsession. As long oh, as like wow, everyone we else, we haven't even is. talked about Hades and Persephone yet. <laughs> like, the, cool. <laughs> I I kind of I'm gonna save that one for another day. Okay. But if you're a Raylo and you're really into Hades and Persephone, please Google it because there's some. Or if you're really into Raylo, I shouldn't say if you're really into Hades and Persephone because you're about to be really into Hades and Persephone. <laughs> if you're really into Hades and Persephone. <laughs> yep so i want to leave this section with like two questions that i honestly don't think we we can answer in a compact way but i think that they're interesting to consider the first one being can a hero exist without a villain and can a hero exist without conflict no Um, no you have to have one yep i mean how can the hero make a noble choice if there's not a sacrificial moment or something to um, conquer or save or What's do? the call to action then if there isn't a conflict? Yeah, exactly. There is none. I mean, that's I mean, that's the whole point of like Luke. He's just living his life going to Tashi Station on, you know, Saturdays for some booze and power converters. <laughs> um <laughs> 
<laughs> it's not until R2 and, and 3PO, God bless his soul, like wander into their um, homestead that he gets this call to action from Obi-Wan and starts. And and even then, it's still the same call to action that he receives from Leia, both in A New Hope and in The Last Jedi. It's the same call to action, which is just mm, so poetic and sweet and tragic. Right. Okay, so the second question is, can a villain exist without a hero? And can a villain exist without conflict? My initial understanding is yes. Yeah. A hero can exist without a hero. A you hero. A villain. a villain can exist without a hero. Yes. An awful person doing wicked can exist without the mm-hmm. hero to like take that wickedness away and kind of dispel that. Um, and maybe that's what's so frightening about villains in general is yeah. that they don't need to be counterbalanced by a hero, unlike heroes. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I, I find that really a fascinating thing to think about um, when you think about these archetypes and when you think about villains, because I'm sure off the top of your head, you can think of historical figures that existed perhaps without conflict and that was why they were able to rise or that conflict existed, but it was just so minute that um, their villainy just expanded. Yeah, and I think that even in, I mean, I don't know what were you gonna say. I was gonna say that um, I hadn't really thought about this question before you put it in the show notes, and I think it was a really great question. And I think you're absolutely right that like that's the point is that villains can exist on their own within their own power vacuum, and that is really scary and something we see in reality time and time again. And oftentimes, unfortunately, the heroes aren't enough sometimes, or it takes too long um, and so much has to be lost before the the villain is finally vanquished in the real world. And, and even in Star Wars world too, I mean, the Empire was around for how long before Luke got his own call to action and likewise with the First Order and whatever comes in the next sequel trilogy, you know? Just a little bit of history repeating. Just... <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> I hate myself this episode. I'm so sorry. All right. So let's let's wrap up there. Just a little bit of history repeating and go yeah. into part three. Please just listen to the last episode where apparently I did much better than this episode. You're fine, Caitlin. Relax. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. So part three, we're going to dive deep into those characters. So first I want to start with, okay, let's define the hero and the villain of each trilogy. Let's start with the original trilogy. So I think it's like extremely clear. It's like the most clear it's ever going to be. <laughs> the basic and white. <laughs> of Star Wars. It's like unbelievably clear. <laughs> so obviously Luke is the hero, Vader's the villain, the Emperor's the villain. Cool. You are correct. Yeah. (laughs) Just have a baseline to work from. Okay. So then the prequel trilogy is where things get interesting because that story isn't necessarily a resolve. It is kind of in the middle of the story. It leads up to what essentially will be leading to the finale in the original trilogy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It is the ultimate tragedy where necessarily you could kind of – in in like the the Greek co- comedy tragedy situation, you can say that the original trilogy is a comedy because it ends in a rejoice. There's no marriage like in a traditional comedy, but it 
it is like essentially a marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the prequel trilogy, it is completely tragedy. I know that we say that Star Wars is a tragedy because overall it is because it's just so emotional and sad. But I think that the prequel trilogy is the perfect example of tragedy because it all ends in blackness, in darkness. There's only a glimmer of hope at the end. And that's that's what Star Wars is, obviously, with the babies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's harder to divine. I think that it's clear that Anakin is the villain. He is the villain, right, at the very end. But overall, the Phantom Menace, I think, is obviously uh, Palpatine. Yeah, exactly. And I think, too, when you're thinking about the prequel trilogy, you have to keep in mind what George is keeping in mind is that this is just the three parts of Anakin's life, like three chapters of his life. And his story really encompasses this six-part story. Um, Mm -hmm. So he's going – like, yes, the prequel trilogy is his his descent into darkness and his descent into villainy. But part of it is also, like, understanding why Luke wants to save him and him having that um, heroic moment at the end of Return of the Jedi of coming back to who he was when we first met him and before he, um, like, completely fell to the dark side. But within the prequel trilogy itself, like, it's – it's about his fall um, and seeing all of those pieces come into play. But Palpatine really is the mustache twirling villain. Um, he's been the villain now throughout six films with little to no change, whereas mm-hmm. Anakin undergoes a lot of change, both good and bad. So let's talk about the sequel trilogy. And we've we've basically covered this, right? Rey is on her heroine's journey. Kylo is in a lot of ways, the villain. Uh, he's been set up as the villain. Snoke is also the villain, almost like the head honcho villain. And then Hux is also the villain. <laughs> well, let's talk about, okay, so, you know, we talk a lot, or um, actors talk a lot who play, actors who play villains and bad characters talk a lot about how they, in order to play those characters, you don't, you can't see that person as a bad person. Like from there, if they're the main character, that person is the hero, of mm-hmm. their own story. And Adam, I'm pretty sure Adam has said this at least on one occasion about Kylo Ren and Ben Solo. Um, and so, you know, what does that make Luke in Kylo's story? Well, that, that is – it's just fascinating because The Last Jedi makes Ben Solo in his plight so sympathetic. You think about everything that he has gone through and you think – man, like Luke really is the villain in Ben's story, even though that's not necessarily how things were, but you can understand where he comes from from that. And at this point in storytelling, I think that we have really transcended into this time of relatable, um, understandable, um, clear motives behind villain, villains. Mm. It really, um, I've been thinking in this last section, a lot about the myth of Heracles. And when Heracles comes back, it's different in in different parts of the world and different time periods. But like essentially when Heracles comes back after he's completed his 12 labors, um, the goddess Hera sends um, the goddess of madness onto Hercules' mind and has him go into a rage and kill his wife and children. And then it's like, oh my God, like he's had this amazing like adventure where he's, you know, regained his immortality and then he kills the people that mean the most to him. And then like the next part of his journey 
is in some in some instances he does his labors and then comes home and kills his children and wife and then in other versions of the story he is at home kills his wife and children and then has to complete the 12 labors as penance um and I don't know, I think it's really, but like he ultimately ends his life as a hero and I don't remember the details exactly. Um, but I think it's interesting when looking at Anakin and Luke too, like Anakin started his life as a hero, did really terrible things like Heracles did, and then becomes a hero again at the end. And Luke right. is a hero through and through, does something awful to his family and like uh, descends into himself, into his own melancholy and like torment, um, but then comes out ahead. But Luke is lucky because he gets the chance to confront his family that he has wronged or um, lost tr- the trust of and hurt. Mm-hmm. It, it's a little, it's a slippery slope because it is always when talking about Luke in that moment where he's standing above Ben is a tough thing to talk about because ultimately he didn't do it but at the end of the day what matters is that Ben thought he was mm-hmm. and it's it's just it's a really hard thing to kind of wrap your mind around and that's why yeah. that's why the last Jedi is so good because you can come at it from all these different angles and really realize and think about maybe what that must have felt like for Ben who has this like monster inside of his head telling him these like evil lies about his family and his legacy and like who who he should be and then he wakes up with his uncle standing above him but what we know we know Luke's side of the story as the you know impartial audience who understands that Luke is just was just thinking about the greater good and we can respect that as Luke is the hero and we know his entire history mm-hmm. and we're it's it, it just it's so complicated oh my it God. is well like with Heracles who had madness put upon him when he killed his wife and children it's kind of it's not the same but it's comparable I think to Anakin more so to Luke too because we know from the last Jedi novelization that Snoke was manipulating Luke and Ben in that moment and then Anakin was heavily manipulated by Palpatine too um, all of them are obviously responsible for their actions, but they were all manipulated to varying degrees depending on what was going on. And you said something interesting about us as the impartial audience watching that moment with Luke and Ben. I would, I don't think anyone is impartial when they're watching <laughs> sure. that film. I think you're leaning – honestly, I think I'm probably the most impartial person because Luke and Kylo <laughs> are my favorite characters. But most people out there are either going to be Team Ben Solo or Team Luke in that moment, you know? <laughs> it's so true, though. <laughs> I I don't – I remember watching that for the first time and being kind of overwhelmed, but mm-hmm. honestly not being that surprised, just understanding, like, the Skywalkers as a whole. Like, they have that darkness through them. They have these impulses, and we've seen these impulses in Luke before. It's not that surprising, Right. Um, where he? Oh my was, god! I was so shocked. I, I know you not, were. I know you I were. Not but... Believe it. I was like Luke. No, I was definitely Team Ben Solo in that moment. Um, but now, <laughs> I mean, I'm. I think I was Team Ben Solo too. I think that in general, if you think it through, you are going to be Team Ben Solo because you can understand that fear of a oh, lightsaber yeah. in your face, even though we don't have lightsabers in this world. A lightsaber in your face. <laughs> yeah, but like when you're sleeping and like the most like innocent position yeah and you will in your like jammies (laughs) (laughs) he 
was up late practicing his calligraphy. His hand was cramping. That's why he finally went to bed. <laughs> That's too soft. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, anyway. it's like it's like you're immediately like your team Ben Solo, but then you remember who Luke is and you hear what he's saying when he's like reliving that moment of like I I saw darkness and destruction in his mind. And like you're like I get that, but that's your family. Mm-hmm. Oh, how could you do that? And then you look at Kylo and you have sympathy for him, but then you have that moment on the bridge with Han and you're like, oh, but he's your family. How could you do that? Um, and it's all the – like the dynamic between Luke and Kylo like never ceases to fascinate me. I think there were I, – I want so many things about their relationship. I can't even tell you. I definitely do feel like there – are like there's a lot of there's a lot that needs to be unturned between Luke and Kylo like and we're going to get that I feel like we're going to get a solid resolution between that because of the see you around kid moment mm-hmm. um but there was a lot that definitely needed to be discussed on crate <laughs> that didn't get there instead oh, yeah. like Luke's like super jokey yeah I love that I love that whole standoff I love when Kylo says have you come to save my soul because what he's really saying is like you damned my soul like you did this to me Mm -hmm. um, in the subtext and I just I'm obsessed with it I love it I should go watch it now me too (laughs) (laughs) okay so kind of as the final question um do these archetypes even matter like why are we here talking about heroes and villains and heroines like what does it mean are we just like are we is Star Wars continually subverting these archetypes? I think it's just it's growing. I mean, it's what we said at the top of the show like um Luke's journey is the foundation. The original trilogy is the foundation. The prequel is another layer of complication and now the sequel trilogy is another layer of complication too, but it's all on that foundation of how stories have been told for thousands of years, but we're just getting not even new versions of it. But the thing is, because we're sticking with this family, we're just, we're building on it time and time again. It's just so interesting the way that Star Wars continues to push myth forward. I don't feel like any other major franchise is doing that right now. No. And in that way, I feel like Star Wars really does stand alone as um, reinventing it's it's modern myth making. It's adding to the idea, uh, the Joseph Campbell idea of the monomyth. It is expanding what we know about these basics, about the heroes, about villains, about heroines, Maureen Murdoch. Like I, even even that text could potentially be dated soon, considering that was written in 1990. And I keep referring to it as modern because it is. But you know, women's roles and understanding of feminism is growing and changing. And I I think that Star Wars, if it continues forever, and it looks like it's going to, is going to continue to redefine these notions and dig into these archetypes that we're so familiar with in history, in myth, in in stories for years. Yeah, absolutely. And But the great thing about Star Wars is that, like, since it does exist within universe – like in its own, like it deals with its own history quite frequently, and it's a compressed history too. It's not like the original trilogy and prequel trilogy took place, and then you know, two hundred years later, now we're getting the sequel trilogy. They're they're all within the same time frame and having to deal um, explicitly with the ramifications of everyone's choices. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that that really does set Star Wars apart um, because, yes, it's compressed time, but it's also generational time. It's not something like um, like the Avengers that it's, you know, kind of quick and snappy, the time frame they're dealing with. Um, and also there's obviously much more expand. That's a whole other thing. But, <laughs> but like- I, I was I was thinking about like Marvel when I was talking about how I don't think that any other franchise is doing that. And I think that it's fair to assume that, you know, the cinematic universe is something that's really interesting that's going on right now. But Star Wars has kind of been doing that for a really long time, it feels like. Well, the Marvel Um, cinematic universe is interesting because of how expansive it is with all of these characters taking on their own franchises. Um, Exactly. The the Marvel cinematic universe is like a web, whereas – like Star Wars is like a book. <laughs> I think that's great. I think that's a really good visualization. <laughs> is it? I, no, no, I really do think it is because it's all contained within a sort of myth. I don't think yeah. that the Avengers and like everything that comes from that is necessarily myth in the same way. I do think that it, a lot of it follows the hero's journey. I think that that's like a part huge personal, part yeah. of it. Yeah, I think that heroes like maybe the first thing you think of when you when you talk about heroes is like Superman or like mm-hmm. I don't know Spider-Man. I know that's not Marvel. I know that uh Superman wasn't Marvel. I just want to get that known. <laughs> I know that. I just um I just feel like it is the comic book hero is like a part of this conversation. It's just a little different when you talk about myth and um, the way that Star Wars is building up its universe. Yeah. I mean, George had even said at one point, right, about Star Wars that it was supposed to be like C-3PO and R2 telling the story. And I think he even referenced, you know, at the beginning of a fairy tale when you zoom in on the picture book and it opens and you dive into the story. And we see that in Strange Magic too, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like a map unfurling, which just had to get Strange Magic in there. So – been a hot second since we've talked about that masterpiece Love of the film. <laughs> um, if so there's good. anything talking about myth these days in film, it's strange magic. <laughs> I mean, I think that you even see that when um, on in the Ewok village in Return of the Jedi when C-3PO is telling the story. I think that that kind of gets yeah. back to that original idea that George had wanted to kind of capture. Such a good reference. Wow. That was really good. <laughs> Yeah, okay. he's like, thank there. you. It was. I feel like we haven't talked about Return of the Jedi in a really long time, and rarely do I have great things to say about 3PO, but that is a really great moment of him like telling their own story and mm-hmm. like he's starting these legends. Like, who knows who Wicket or um, uh, Pikpa told, you know? Like, <laughs> right. I think it, it makes me think of that book, uh, the Ken Liu book. Um, Legends of Luke Skywalker, where yeah. all those stories aren't necessarily canon, but they do kind of uh, – there's something within each of them that is true. Yeah, we don't and, know. Yeah. And no, I mean, I think that you can read the story and be like, oh, my God, that's so like fantastical. I'm not going to get into that book because I've only read a couple of the stories. But um, it it's it's an interesting addition to the Star Wars monomyth because it isn't necessarily – canon it's not it just like it recognizes the storytelling aspect even within star wars Mm -hmm. yeah exactly anyway i think that that's where we should kind of draw the line um and i mean we're constantly talking about heroes and villains on the show i just i think i thought it was you know useful for us to kind of 
get down in the dirt and kind of talk about Mm -hmm. where these myths even come from and what the creators even say about them. Yeah, I Um, think it's it's a necessary discussion, um, especially for us, people like us who aren't super familiar um, with things like the heroine's journey and are just now starting to understand it a little more in light of Ray's journey in these stories. I highly recommend it. I ordered it like a couple months ago and I read the entire thing in the past week and I it is just so brilliant. I sometimes kind of tear up when I read it because it's just things are just so true. It's really like validating as a woman to read it. If you are a woman listening to this podcast and you are at all interested in what we just talked about, I highly recommend reading this and I just want to thank Scavengers Horde again for introducing me to this like a year and a half ago mm-hmm. when I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and I, I feel the same way now and maybe even perhaps more so. Oh, yeah. Um, and if you've never listened to Scavengers Horde, they are the smartest girls in the podcasting world, some of the smartest girls. So you definitely need to go and check out their show. It's it's amazing. <laughs> it's so good. Yes. It really is. Okay, so Caitlin, do you want to tell everyone where they can find us? Yes. So thank you all so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And just a reminder, if you're at Dragon Con and you're listening to this on Saturday or Sunday, please come find us for buttons and hugs and stickers. Um, But you can find us, if you're not at Dragon Con, on Twitter mostly. Our podcast Twitter is at SkytalkersPod. And my Twitter handle is at Caitlin Plusher. And Charlotte's is at Clarity. And you can also find us on our website, skytalkers.com. And if you'd like to leave a review for us on iTunes or um, wherever else you get your podcast, we would really appreciate it. It really does help people find our show. And that's always fun to make new friends. So if you have time and uh, could spare us a review, we would really love it. Yes, definitely. And I want to say a huge thank you to our amazing patrons. If you don't know, we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash skytalkers podcast. I should know that, but I'm sure you can find it. You started off really confident and then yeah. lost it. Well, I'm like wondering if it's slash skytalkers or skytalkers pod. I think that's or Sky just skytalkers. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, but we post a, an exclusive episode there at $3 tier and up every month. And we have a Discord that's super fun if you're interested in that kind of stuff. And we are so thankful to anyone who helps us out. And I just want to name those awesome names right now. Amy, Joanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Rachel, Courtney, Brian, Susanna, Megan, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, BJ, Danny, Lumpa Roo. Lumpa Raru, Patrick Pine, James Hamsa, from a certain point of view, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stuart, Kyle, Jennifer, Ross, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Sarah, Travis, Katie, Daniela, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Matt, Jordan, Molly, Chell, Aaron, Rebecca, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Adam, Derek, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, Brandon, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. It really does mean the world. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.